Welcome to the Cloud Architects Podcast, a podcast about cloud, technology, and the people using it. The Cloud Architects Podcast is sponsored by Kemp Technologies. Choose Kemp to optimize your multi-cloud application deployments and simplify multi-cloud application management. A single pane of glass for application delivery, Kemp provides a 360-degree view of your entire application environment and even third-party APCs. Download Kemp 360 for free today at kemptechnologies.com. I'm here with Daryl as a service. And I'm here with Nicholas Blink. And besides our terrible accents, um, my, my Kiwi accent is terrible. And Daryl, your South African accent is truly bad, although I think it's better than my Kiwi accent. Well, I think so. I think so. Look, you, you spent the grand total of, what, a week in New Zealand uh, this year? Well, last Three. Year? Three, Three weeks. Three weeks. Oh, my goodness. So I know about togs and floaties. Yes. Yes. And uh, jandals. Jandals. The rest of the world doesn't know what a jandal is. No, they don't. No. No. That's actually, it's a brand name too, I think. Yeah. But it's like Xerox machines are all copiers. Yes. And Hoover's are all vacuum cleaners. Yes. Correct. Correct. So we're catching up. And what's interesting about this is that I asked Daryl to talk about adoption. And when I approached Daryl, he had that quizzical look in his eye. And it wasn't because I wasn't asking him anything inappropriate. It was because he said, well, what are we actually going to talk about? And the thing is that I do what I think of in my mind is the physical side of cloud adoption. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, Daryl does the logical side of cloud adoption. I'm interested in that definition, Nick, because... Uh, I always introduce myself as the people side of a project and the technical side would be your side. Indeed. So very often I get to a customer and uh, I'm going to refer to something uh, that you and I potentially both know as the M365 Golden Config. Right. Which is a beautiful pyramid and at the bottom of the pyramid it has a thing called a network. And then it has another layer called Identity. And then it has OS, and then mm -hmm. it has client, and eventually it gets to a thing called service. And very often I engage with a customer who says, I've got nothing, and I want to do a Teams trial. So what I'm going to do is define a bunch of cloud-only users, and I'm going to put some data into the cloud. And then I'm going to figure out how to integrate it with the rest of my network. So we've taken that pyramid, we've inverted it, Mm -hmm. And I end up with a mess. Hmm. And the mess is I've got primarily no governance because I'm using cloud-only users and passwords. I don't have a access strategy. I don't have a definition that says that if you're a power plant, you shouldn't be putting the plans of the nuclear reactor into OneDrive for business and sharing it anonymously with links that don't expire. So that's where I very often start a customer engagement that I have something in cloud that needs to then reverse integrate back into something on premises, which is identity and governance and security. So what I would like to start off with is in my mind, the physical side of adoption, which is do you have a network that is able to consume cloud services? And what I say there is, 
and I, I may have said this to you at Ignite a year or two ago, that the network that is built to browse, and that's browsing web traffic, mm. is not the same network that is built to consume cloud services. I have nine layers of firewalls and inspection devices and DMZs and things. And I wonder why through the proxy server that is mandated by my on-premises governance policy, it appears that Office 365 is slow. So that for me is the logical versus the physical side of adoption. In my mind, I arrive and I have a physical mess and a security mess. And you have a different kind of mess to fix. Why don't you tell us about the mess that you have to fix? In the context of your mess or the mess that I would normally face? The normal mess that you would face. Okay. Uh, I usually come into organizations that um, obviously IT has been in place for some time. Um, they have a pattern for how they've been rolling out software, how they've been rolling out services. And that pattern usually takes the form of we've got this new upgrade or we've got this new service that we need to implement and um, we're going to go through and find out what that best practice is. We're going to play with it for a bit as IT. Um, and then we figure out what we think we should tell our business owners and give them advice. But we make the decisions in the end and um, we implement it and then we tell people, come along to training and here is your migration date or here is your activation date um, then our lovely end users and sometimes our influential end users uh, in a workshop and they say why on earth did you implement it this way if you had involved us in the process early on we could have told you that was never going to work yeah um, the mess that I end up having to come in and, and uh, clean up is restoring faith in IT, in IT people, and helping to empower the business users and owners to actually drive the project, to be involved in uh, the change itself. I sort of see myself as an IT marriage counsellor. Yeah? That's a wonderful definition. Yeah. In my mind, a lot of us as infrastructure people see adoption as oh it's user training or it's change control mm. and there's so much more there do you mind just unpacking that for us definitely uh, and you're right the perception is that we need to add training at some point because people need to know how to use all this great hard work that we've been doing uh, but unfortunately it's usually the first thing that's cut too or at least reduced because somewhere along the line, a, a project budget has blown out, it takes too long, there's too much time, or someone's got their eye on the next level of equipment, and they think if we just spend a few more grand there to, to get that next level, um, where can we take this from in the budget? Oh, we'll just we'll dumb down training to maybe a couple of quick reference guides and a video. And a poster. And a poster. Posters on If you're lucky. Yeah, if posters and elevators. Yeah, that's right. Um, where, where change management and adoption uh, is misunderstood is that it actually needs to happen at the very beginning, at the same time as IT are exploring, exploring the technology. And where you can, you need to be able to involve your people 
your um, people who know the business processes, the influences, the the leadership uh, to, at the very beginning, so that they know and they can start to form a vision about how is this going to fit into our organization and what problems are we solving uh, are really key. Because if that's not done at the beginning, then as people start to be aware of what's going on, there is no desire and no what's in it for me that's clear, no clear goals. You are not going to get adoption if you just throw technology at it. And the part that um, I guess we still find um, is hard to convince IT pros and even the, the basically the people that pay the bills is that when you put that work in up front, you end up with successful adoption. If you don't, you end up with just a little bit of knowledge that sometimes sticks. So which would you prefer? Software and services that are actually going to enable people to achieve more or flash ways to do new work that people just ignore eventually and go back to the old way of doing things? What I think you are saying is that adoption is much more than we've made a purchasing decision and we want to roll out something. Mm. Adoption should be, we have determined that there's a better way to do something. We've solved a problem in our business. And we want to gain value with the way that we've solved this problem and we have a solution. That solution could be, insert name of technology here. Mm. And we want to be involved right in the beginning. However, just like customers make a purchasing decision and they do a proof of concept and in my world that proof of concept goes live and then I end up with a mess I would suspect that you have the same that you have a proof of concept it went live now we want to gain a value out of our purchase mm -hmm. because we've had this successful POC with the three people that, that have used it and now we want to roll it out to the rest of the user base however large that is right but I don't have a business process. I don't have something that I've solved. I just want to roll out this product that I've purchased, mm. right? Mm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, look, the the thing that I would say, though, is that proof of concepts are really key with involving people in the choice and the implementation of technology. I think what you're highlighting there is where it goes wrong, that uh, if you're only trying that proof of concept with a few people, and heaven forbid, just IT people, then that's not a proof of concept. That's people trying it out, but not really trying it in the business context. Um, you do need to, much in the, in, in the way that you think about sampling and statistics, you need to increase your sample size. It, not necessarily in, involving everyone, but this is where um, the overlap happens with user adoption and change yeah. management. We select people that we know are going to be um, uh, giving us a, a wider view of how business works and how the technology works. We're not going to go with power users or the the new whippersnippers who have joined us today because they know technology. No, we actually need to get some of those grumpy old people in there that will have problems and will have resistance because they're going to give us other insights into how yeah. people work. And that's what a proof of concept is. Uh, and you're right. You can't necessarily just go live with a proof of concept. However, when you're exploring some of those technologies, um, the way that they're compartmentalized, such as Microsoft Teams, allows you to, mm. we've found some patterns that work. It works well for this department, for this um, uh, directorate in our business. 
Um, so we are going to take those learnings and start to scale. One piece that is missing, and I'm sure that you've got some thoughts on this too, is I believe that governance, the governance decision and exploration of what a product can do, the thought process around compliance and creating a safe environment needs to be one of the upfront discussions. Absolutely. One of the things we like to do, and this is where I talk about the the physical adoption for me is also what does governance mean inside your organization and if you have a an access policy we're in a good place because mm. then we can extrapolate that out to cloud and we know what's possible in cloud and depending on your licensing spend we know what abilities you've got and what kind of abilities we can craft into that governance policy or where you should have spent more money and should spend more money mm. if you don't have an access policy then you're in a bad place. And then it's safer very often to stop the bus and ask everyone to get off while we figure out if we've bought the right bus or not. Mm -hmm. And the same is, for me, governance includes things like how do we physically get to our data? So we have uh, financial services customers who will only access Office 365 from within the confines of their own network and that's their physical network. Mm. If the users are at home, they have to VPN in from a physically owned device or from a, a device that is owned by the company. Mm -hmm. They have to VPN in, and then they have to authenticate to Active Directory. And if they then try to access something in Office 365, conditional access will determine if they're in the right place and the right circumstances. Got it. Otherwise, if they try to do this from the home PC, it just won't work. So we have that extreme all the way out to users need to work anywhere, anytime, on any device. And mm -hmm. we've got the original dream that Microsoft sold to, to cloud users. And then how do we do governance and security within that mm. and still pass audit? Mm. So we've got, we've got both worlds in terms of the managed spectrum. Unmanaged spectrum, it's the Wild West. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I imagine that... Um uh, working in that kind of restricted environment uh, is quite stifling, you know. When 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 you're trying to benefit from being able to, work I, from I hear that. you say that, but it actually forces innovation. And okay. uh, the the um, the old saying about the um, invention, what necessity is the the mother of invention. When we have a problem to solve, then we can innovate. And so we talk about uh, something that is stifled and potentially user adoption is stifled, but there we have to then figure out what is our metric for user adoption. Is it the usage of the service or is it truly empowering a user to do something they couldn't do beforehand? Mm -hmm. And in the remit of a company having to stay secure at the same time. So <clears throat> I can either make the argument that it's not true cloud if you can't access it anywhere, or I can make the argument that we're solving a business problem mm. within the governance requirements of a company which cannot change or they shouldn't, couldn't go to cloud. Right. They would normally be an organization that rules it out completely. That's, and, that's quite correct. And you've helped them to explore the middle ground where they can have security to the acceptable extent, but still benefit from having their services hosted in the cloud and from all the, the AI and goodness that, that actually happens in the background. That's right. right. See, I can do things with Azure Active Directory that I cannot do with on-premises Active Directory. Mm. 
And if we have the money for it, for example, I can do risk-based login. So I can evaluate where you are in the world, what are you doing, where are you coming from, and based on the risk profile that you've defined at the business level, decide if you may access a service versus you may authenticate to my Active Directory. Hmm. And this is where we talk about the difference between authentication versus authorization versus access. Mm. And those three are, are very different things. And in a modern world where we desperately want to get away from a simple username and password to access something that is business critical, we have to have all three in mind. And I cannot do that with VPNs, firewalls, and on-premises Active Directory. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's an exciting world there where, um, that's opening up in, in um, Azure and with uh, Microsoft 365 where... The border is no longer a, a network in a sense, but it is your identity and your trusted device. That's right. Um, and it, it does enable a, a number of different um, scenarios. I guess like, there are some industries that are going to say we still require more. We haven't yet passed that level of security um, as being acceptable to our industry. But for those who come down a level... Um, they can benefit from that and and still have amazing security, even around the information itself. You know, Azure Information Protection and um, you know Advanced Threat Protection and those sorts of services that um, an end user doesn't need to know. Indeed, but it, it should be protected. transparent to them. Yeah, uh, the the worst possible for me is if a customer goes to cloud and becomes so restrictive mm. that they actually cannot share, and that is in the bring your own key scenario. Right. So we've used RMS and we've encrypted all of our documents, but we actually can't share them with anyone. And then I start <laughs> wondering what the point is of going to cloud beyond commoditizing services. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has its own value. It's an economic value. But in my mind, it doesn't necessarily have the kind of business value that you are able to derive. And something I've heard you say a bunch of times, Daryl, is that you are a business user yeah. and you look for business value. And one of the things I look for for any one of my customers to see if they are a fit for cloud is does your data have more value in cloud than in your own data center? And if you can't derive that value, you shouldn't go to cloud. And the reason for that is I've got to change a whole bunch of things in your business. I've got to mm -hmm. take you off that proxy that you think you can expect all your cloud network traffic through. But you can't. You can expect your browsing traffic. It's a different, completely different thing. Mm. And how do we secure you? And how do you still pass audit in your regulated industry? And those challenges we can solve very successfully using cloud services, but we can't do that anymore with on-premises technologies. Mm. And in the midst of all of that, I would look to you to say, where do I start with my business discussion? Because ideally, you should engage before I do. Because you want to derive the business value before you start telling the customer what to change physically, shouldn't you? Mm. Yep. You do need to talk about what their needs are and what they're hoping to achieve out of moving to the cloud. Um, for some, uh, it is because they have been inspired by some of the um, cognitive services and the capabilities that are opening up in Azure that are so compartmentalized uh, that they can... Um, attach this powerful way of being able to investigate their data or um, uh, be able to derive more value from it. 
in a, you know, based on, on that desire, uh, they want to explore that path. Um, you're right, it's not going to happen in their own data centers because, let's be honest, I mean, to, to get to that same level of, of uh, technology, um, they have to make some serious investments to, to do that and then who's going to maintain it. Um, so yes, uh, as, as that business discussion transitions to uh, a technology discussion and how are we going to still maintain security that's acceptable and compliant, the borders uh, are peeled back and it's no longer about proxies and firewalls because the data is actually secured and in the cloud. It's now been protected by other methods um, around uh, securing your identity more and around trusting those devices and um, you know protecting you from sharing information uh, unwittingly. Um, you know, it's it's it is a different story, and and it's you can't recreate that kind of capability on prem um, without serious investment. And I think unattainable investment for the average customer. Mm. Even look at my my banking customers with very very deep pockets yeah. and um, quasi government institutions where money is no object, and they still prefer to go to cloud because it would take. Just to get machine learning meaningfully in the average data center is a multi-million dollar investment. Mm. Yeah, and then it's still specialized use, use cases as opposed to uh, machine learning on demand or built in. Yeah, you'll often find that um, they they have no intention of bringing those expertise into their own organization, so they still look to third party. They still look to it being hosted somewhere. Well, if it's hosted somewhere, why not? Why not step into the biggest data center in the world that's capable of so much more? If it makes sense and if there's business value. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, let's assume, and I'm going to ask you for your ideal path of adoption. So dialing it back to adoption, how should a company consider, and I don't know if you want to talk about Teams or, or any other service. I focus a lot on the, the productivity space rather than, I guess, the... Um, information um, analytical side all right so then uh, let me give you the the business problem to solve and i would engage with your organization and i'd say daryl i'd like a logical path to cloud adoption that derives business value mm -hmm. before i make any type of infrastructure spend i'd like to understand what i should be looking for and where i should engage you when I should pause to do the infrastructure bits that company like ourselves would do. Mm. And then when should we re-engage you? In my mind, actually, you should be the golden thread that ties the customer to the infrastructure consultancy. Mm. But there's a lot of um, lack of knowledge out there in terms of where do customers start? When do they engage folks like you? So. Let's start with your ideal world that we could replicate. Mm -hmm. We should start with adoption and a business problem to solve. Yeah. Yeah, we start with that. And we also start with exploration. Go on. And, and it's driven by, by business. Um, exploration, it can be just to begin with, hypothetically, and talking around business scenarios. Um, and it's, it is... Uh, Aside from technology, you know, getting getting the business to talk about themselves to begin with, uh, no sense in going doing some great big pitch on the capabilities of Azure and the capabilities of Microsoft 365. That can come later. 
Um, but firstly, let's talk about you and, and what kind of things you're trying to achieve and what are the measures of success. Um, and that gives you a great starting point for solving problems. Let's come up with a problem statement because with that stake in the ground, we know what we're going to try and work towards. Mm. Otherwise, we are just trying things out just for the sake of it. Yeah. Uh, where, where we get involved is... Um, in fact, you know, we, I've said we like to be involved at the beginning, but we do it in partnership with the technical team. Um, we are in the same meetings. We're part of that same conversation. Um, the, the architect uh, in, in the conversations is going to recognize certain things that they'll need to start thinking about. Um, as we're teasing out some of the details, we're being that marriage counselor. We're helping to have the conversations that perhaps IT have forgotten how to have. Or don't know to have. Yeah. And or yeah, exactly. Don't know to have. Um uh haven't uh or maybe they've lost the rapport or even the trust. Uh and so look, everyone just wants to be listened to. If I can zero it down to that. The business wants to be listened to to say, no, 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 this is what I want. IT pros and the architects want to be listened to and say, well look, I've got some knowledge that can help you. Um, but everyone needs to listen to each other. I've seen that in your Instagram feed. Yeah. And I, I can't say that I disagree with that. But what I do say a lot is that IT is a fulfillment service to organizations very often. And they don't often have a say to the business in terms of driving anything, helping the business make decisions. Hmm. And so coming back to your ideal state mm. you'd like to be involved in the beginning and you need to be involved in the beginning but very often it organizations and business organizations don't talk to each other mm. and so you get in there and you facilitate a discussion i've heard you say that you find the problem that needs to be solved and then what is your next step do you define strategy before we start clicking on buttons or is there a plan? Where do we go from there? Um, this is where the, the proof of concepts and the exploration can come in. Because after we've talked about what we want, we also start to want to see some of the possibilities. Now take Microsoft Teams, for example, where um, the leading Teams POC organization across Australasia. We're involved in, in POCs that Microsoft feed to us because large enterprises want to know about it. Uh, but they, they want to know about it in the context of how they really work. Mm. And so you do need to get the, the tools in front of people, but not make it about the tools. Yeah. Let's let's co-create the solution together. And this is the, a skill that IT pros need to pick up and start to get some confidence in to be able to have those conversations. Not, not I mean, becoming like a consultant, but not, not being, you know, um, you know, sort of over the top. Th that that by guiding people through and helping them to try things out and explore and say, well, does it work that we, we have chosen to, to create our teams in this way? Does it fit our, our, the way that we work? How, what do we do with channels and when should we create one of those? And um, how should we hold our meetings? And those sorts of questions. As people explore the tool and start to see it, you iterate you come back you try things out you talk about it how did that work for you over the last couple of weeks oh we found these sort of weird things about it but we quite like it okay 
uh, can you tell me about things that you uh, tested with that? You know, did you actually go and uh, bring a customer into one of those calls? Yeah, we did, and it was okay. It was you know we needed to have a bit of knowledge about how to guide them to connect. To, you know what I'm talking about. So in that POC, um, we learn a lot about one how the business problem we've already talked about starts to fit into the technology. We learn about how the business starts to feel like they're involved in the process, and uh, we can we can start to fit. You know, like it's like putting in a new kitchen. You don't just just stick it in there. You you actually have to finish and fit and make it all nice and and neat. Uh, and that comes further down the track. But all these early learnings um, can can then be taken and scaled. Even if even if you're taking it to a completely different department with a different culture, uh, you already have some kind of familiarity with the organisation, and. Um, what you're also doing is starting to to create some success stories. Mm. This is crucial to adoption. When other departments start to look and say, "Oh, I like what you're doing there. That's that's good. I, I can see ourselves using that in research and development." Um, yeah, we could we could try. It. What what did you learn from that? As soon as you get that conversation going between departments, you've you've got yourself some influences, um, some advocates for the technologies that comes in. And, uh, of course, adoption follows from that. And when I say adoption, it's not consumption. It's one thing to say, oh, look, we're hitting the figures and we've got everyone on board and they're using the product. But true adoption is when people are achieving business goals. Yes. So those business goals you would have ideally wanted to document up front in terms of what are we trying to do? We're trying yes. to increase collaboration. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. But... I want to rewind the conversation a little bit where I think you've been a little bit unfair to the IT pro. And what you've said is that the IT pro should be able to have these types of conversations or have these type of skill bases. And very often we find that you have the administrator of service XYZ who now has become the team's administrator mm -hmm. and is thrust into that conversation and doesn't even know what skills they don't have in order to have conversations they are ignorant of. So understanding that we have an IT pro who's listening to this episode, says, okay, Daryl, I hear you. But mm. Where do I start? What is the skill that I pick up? And is where do I even begin? Is this a LinkedIn thing? Do I go to LinkedIn Learning? Do I go to Plural Site and click on Course X? Where do I go to pick up what appears to me a mythical set of skills that you're talking about where I just see a lack in my life, which for you is second nature because clearly this is your job. It is my job, but I'm an IT pro too. Go Did on. you know this? I started out as a systems admin. I started out as someone who was maintaining systems, working with the security side of it. Um, I was helping deploy office software and desktops. And um, I know that, that it's a, I guess it's a generalization, but our, our average IT pro does prefer to um, work on the, the work in front of them and not be too bothered by end users, if I can sort of round it out to that. No arguments there, yeah. Okay. Um, so having those kinds of conversations uh, with end users, that next level up potentially leaves them feeling quite um, apprehensive, scared. Whoa, you want me to go in and talk to some of our, our business leaders and yeah. and be a, a consultant? 
the this is a path i know like i'm not saying that you're going to learn this uh, overnight but it takes uh i would say it's more of a personal skill than a skill that you go away and learn from a course what you have to do is start to be open and honest about whether or not you understood something or whether or not you need a bit more time to explain yourself um, it, it takes a bit of assertiveness, which is, I guess, the, the part that we only learn as we start to flex that muscle, when we start to exercise that. The, the assertiveness that we need to have is when business pushes back on us and says, well, don't you have an answer? Don't you have an answer? Hurry up. Don't, mm. don't be dumb sitting there with, with nothing to say. And, and you're struggling there because I've got all this knowledge, but I just don't know how to, to say it. I don't know how to inject myself into this conversation. It's a bit disruptive, but sometimes we need to ask hey, I'm, I'm in this conversation because I have some knowledge that I can share and help. Um, do you want to hear it? Uh, or if you value what I've got to say, um, just, just pause. I need to think about this for a moment because IT pros have massive value in, in what they can uh, inject into that. They can guide the, the business user along because they understand the technology and where it all connects and how it all fits. But it's a symbiotic thing. Um, business will benefit from that, but IT pros also need to um, open themselves up to benefiting by sitting alongside people and seeing how they work and just becoming part of part of those conversations. I do have a friend um, in New Zealand who was, um, I guess over the last couple of years, went through the same journey, introvert scared as of, yep. of talking in front of big audiences and important people something happened in his life where he thought that's it i'm going to go and talk to leadership high level because they're obviously not getting what they want and i think that i can maybe just sit with them and and listen that's all he needed to do is listen take down a few notes let me see what i can do it starts with listening um, he has gone on to, to being um, the go-to guy to advise mayors and councillors. And he's been on stage and he's presenting to hundreds of people. Wonderful. And, and this is, he still comes across as, as a, a, a nervous introvert. Yeah. But he's pushed himself. And it's been a gradual journey, but he's, he's, he's just put himself out there. Something that can potentially help bridge the divide is... Uh, and I think I'm getting the author's name right. I remember the, the, the name of the book, and it's, it's a framework called uh, Flawless Consulting, and it's by Peter Block. And the premise of it is that there are effectively only two types of people in an organization at any one time. Mm -hmm. You're either consultant or a consumer. And mm -hmm. any time anyone asks you for your opinion, you step into the role of the consultant with all the baggage and the fine print that comes with that. <laughs> and it allows you, gives you a framework to understand what your responsibilities are and what the consumer or the customer's responsibilities are and how to have those conversations, mm. as well as how to educate your up-level management in terms of these are the kind of questions I need to ask and are you asking me to be an actual consultant or a deferred manager pair of hands because you're asking me to do a job that you don't want to do, mm. which is no longer consulting. Mm. So I'd like to suggest that Flawless Consulting, even though the book is a, can be a little bit of a dry read, is a framework that allows the average IT pro to unpack the difference between a consultant and a customer and have a, a different worldview.
Yeah. And that's been very good for, for our organization. It's been good for every customer that we've engaged with. And flawless has got nothing to do with the quality of your work or the measure thereof. Flawless has got to do with the fact that you have got rights and I've got rights. We both want to agree on what those rights are. Mm. And we want to execute within that framework. And that is what makes an engagement flawless is that we have the ability to reframe expectations once we got past the initial, what, uh, what problem did I thought I was solving for you? Oh, you've changed my parameters. This is how we need to have this conversation. Do I need to rescope everything? Mm. What does it mean for my cost? As an external organization, there'll be a cost. As an internal organization, there'll be a time. cost. <laughs> could be time, it could be effort, could be other things that are no longer delivered. But how do we have that conversation? Mm. So from a, and I don't want to call them soft skills because there are skills that need to be attained. And I think this is one manner that uh, we as IT pros can gain those skills that we don't have because mm. we, we are unconsciously incompetent. We don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's been really good talking to you about this and, and unpacking um, a variety of things in terms of the, the span of a conversation. Um, where does it start and and how can IT work more closely with um, someone who's interested in adoption and, and helping bridge that conversation with business like my hope is that that organizations and partners begin to build that capability within their own organizations uh, to the point where they don't need the marriage counselor anymore but yeah but they can, can look to this pattern that's going to help them achieve user adoption and make a fuller use of all that hard work that the IT pros put in to, to make these systems work. Before I let you go, let me know what you'd like to plug. Let me know how people can find you personally. Yeah. Um, look, I, uh, I'm known as Daryl as a service on, on Twitter and various different um, social media platforms. So that's D-A-R-R-E-L-L-A-A-S. Um, I work for Adopt and Embrace, and we are purely a adoption-focused company um, around the Microsoft 365 stack. So we're not selling you any Microsoft software, but we are trying to help you make the most of your investment. Uh, and we work alongside partners like the likes of uh, Nicholas Blank and his company uh, to to um, ensure that your investment is is more than just turning the the lights on for a great new technology, but that your people achieve more with with what they um, are uh, implementing. You also support and you are prolific creative content on regarding 365. I am. Do you want to tell us about that quickly? Yeah, it's a it's a collective of of um, people who love to uh, help people understand how to use Microsoft 365. Um, we don't write great long blogs of 50 steps of how to do something in, in a technical sense, but what we do talk about is the why and what benefit is there to to uh, people um, using microsoft 365 we we write about things on regarding 365.com uh, we have a youtube channel where we've got a few live shows and, and regular videos coming out and uh, we do like to come along to live events like this and try and um, share the story and the occurrences of what's happening in a, in a live or, or recorded sense because wherever we are and whatever we're doing at, at events and things like this, there's always stories to tell. It might be the same technology implemented the same way, but the story behind it 
uh, is what people relate to and and may be inspired about how they might use it themselves. That's amazing. Thank you. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for coming onto the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoyed putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Architects.